please stay tuned for Fire Safe Mendocino, a brand new radio show brought to you by the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council in partnership with KZYX. Our first show is pre-recorded. It's a conversation with me and Scott Craddy of the Fire Safe Council and Mary Matta Forrester for the Resource Conservation District. Without further ado, here we go. Uh, my name's Cobb. I'm in the studio recording this. I am joined via Zoom with uh, Fire Safe Council Director Scott Craddy. Hey there, Scott. Good morning. Also with Mendocino County Resource Conservation District Forester, Mary Maeta. Hello, Mary. Hello. We're here to discuss fire, forestry, resource conservation districts, and how they relate to the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council. Mary Maeta, will you start us off with a bit of your personal history and an introduction to your work as a forester? Well, you know... I grew up in in Santa Cruz County, and I really came to forestry as a restoration ecologist, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, I felt growing up, I had only known about clear cutting. That was my view of what forestry was, and I really went into it to major in college to change it from the inside. You know, we don't need to actually be cutting this many trees. And through my studies, I realized, wait, clear cutting is just one small way that people are creating timber products. Forestry is about managing an ecosystem. And there's a real art and science to it with multiple different tools in your tool belt to, to try and create a healthy ecosystem. So really, I see foresters as ecosystem managers. And we manage these forest ecosystems for different objectives. And so one of the things that I do, particularly as the forester for the Resource Conservation District, is work with landowners and residents and property managers to identify their goals and objectives for that piece of land. And that's how we decide what to do on it. So really foresters are ecosystem managers and it's a pretty fun job, I would encourage anybody who likes to be outside to go into forestry. Cool. Will you tell us a little more about the Mendocino County RCD? RCD stands for Resource Conservation Districts, and RCDs are local public organizations that were really born out of the Dust Bowl to help conserve our natural resources. We were the boots on the ground to the federal government's soil conservation service, which is now the natural resources conservation service. And we, there are 97 RCDs here in California, and we all cover our own individual territories. It's usually about on a county level, but some counties have multiple RCDs. But really, the main point is that we are non-regulatory local public agencies that provide conservation leadership through technical, financial, and educational support for voluntary stewardship of natural resources on both private and public lands within our communities. So the Mendocino County 
Resource Conservation District's mission is to conserve, protect, and restore wild and working landscapes to enhance the health of the water, soil, and forests throughout Mendocino County. So really, we're here to support communities to conserve their natural resources. And really, Mendocino is a very heavily natural resource-based economy. We have a lot of forest land, ag land, and how do we help conserve that? That's what we're here for at the RCD, is to work with you to figure out the best ways to manage your land, manage our rivers, our streams, our soils, and just create a healthier community and environment. Thanks, Mary. Scott Craddy, Director of the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council. Will you tell us a little bit about your personal story and how you came to be the Director of the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council? I started January 1st, 2020. Prior to that, over the last decade or so, I had been um, chiefly working in the local food systems in Mendocino County. I was the general manager of the Mendocino County uh, Farmers Market Association and the Ukiah Market. I was one of the co-founders of the Good Farm Fund and had been involved in a lot of ways in that process. Um, and, you know, what I enjoy about that is making connections. I love connecting things that should be connected and finding patterns that should fit together that don't yet and nudging them. So making making things sort of fit together more harmoniously is the thing that probably brings me the most joy. And one of the things about the local food system uh, that really um, fulfills that is that, you know, I, I would, uh, I've talked to just about every service club that allows people to talk to them and every other group. And never once did somebody say, you know, supporting small farms is a bad idea. I don't think we should do that. Uh, it's, it's one of the things that brings people together. And similarly, um, fire is, is something else that does that. Fire doesn't care what you believe. Uh, it doesn't care what, what corner of the political spectrum you come from. Uh, if you live in a neighborhood and, uh, you know, we, we can get into this later, but your, the survivability of your home in a fire very much depends on how well your neighbors are prepared, uh, and how well you've all prepared the ingress and egress, uh, from your location together also has a big effect on how well you collectively survive. So fire is not something you can afford to, um, you, can you can't afford to not work with your neighbors on getting ready for fire just because you don't have the same beliefs as them. Uh, so it's a, it's a perfect opportunity for community building. Uh, so it's a, it's a great twofer. It's, it's a way for us to come together as a community and get past some relatively superficial differences uh, by working together in real meaningful ways and also uh, doing work that is essential to survive in a fire-adapted landscape. Thanks, Scott. On that note, Mary, will you tell us what's a fire-adapted landscape? As a forester, I always say you can't talk about fire without talking about forestry, and you can't talk about forestry without talking about fire. We are a fire-adapted ecosystem throughout California, and a lot of our forests were more open than what we usually see now. They were had fewer trees per acre and larger trees. And so 
when you had a fire move through the landscape, it stayed low to the ground and it stayed on those surface fuels. So whether that's down branches, the leaf litter, down logs, um, some shrubs, it stayed low there. It wasn't able to climb up into the crowns or the canopy of the forest. A lot of our trees are or all of our trees are adapted to fire. And a lot of them have thick bark. They don't have their branches very low to the ground because they're used to low intensity fire just at their feet. And so what has happened with our past land management decisions and exclusion of fire is just everything's been able to grow up. And so we just have very densely packed forest sands with a lot of trees per acre, a lot of smaller trees, a lot of brush. And like you said, Erin, though the fire comes through and it's it doesn't just stay at the ground. It moves up all that brush to the smaller trees into the canopy of our larger trees. It just literally climbs up all that vegetation. And the more vegetation is out there, the higher severity and more heat that that um, that fire is going to burn with. And so what we try and do is to thin out our forest. So we remove the smaller trees, the we call suppressed trees, the ones that aren't going to grow as much. There's too much competition. So we, we take out trees and brush and we leave the healthiest, largest individuals. And that creates space both vertically and horizontally between the remaining trees and brush so that if a fire does come through it can do what it used to do and stay low to the ground it doesn't have what all those ladder fuels to to climb up and so really a lot of these shaded fuel breaks and fuel reduction landscape level fuel reduction projects that the rcd and the fire safe council work on is not there to stop fire it's there to change the fire's behavior to stay lower on the ground rather than climbing up and running through the crowns of the trees and so we all have to work together to try and move forward and be more fire adapted so that means working on our wildlands to do fuels reduction and, and create more fire adapted and resilient forest stands but we also have to create fire adapted and resilient communities because there are people on the landscape there always have been people on the landscape and that's where you know the fire safe council and the resource conservation district work together and weren't they kind of the same organization at one point can you tell us about that mary the fire safe council has really been in existence since 2003 2004 and was a great community-led organization when I came onto the RCD in 2016, it had kind of decreased to a level of a board, a very active and engaged board, and a part-time executive director looking to, to retire. And so the idea was to have the Fire Safe Council and the RCD come together and try and re-engage the community to build it back up. We were really just trying to create more local fire safe councils. We had had a handful in the county for a long time that were run by locals and were going pretty strong, but we just recognized that 
one entity can't cover all 2.2 million acres of the county. So we were really trying to work with communities to establish local fire safe councils. We were really trying to build up our relationships with state and federal organizations and agencies and also local businesses to provide the best information to landowners. And we really, the projects we did were relatively small based on PG&E funding. We were clearing some roads in, in one way in, one way out subdivisions. Um, we did a little bit of coursework on the, on the coast, but, you know, it really wasn't until after the 2017 Redwood Complex fire that we started seeing bigger grants come in to Mendocino County. And that was both good because we were getting more funding to help plan and implement projects with communities to be more fire safe, fire adapted. But it was a little frustrating that we had to be so reactionary. We had hoped before that we wouldn't have to wait for a catastrophic event to start getting the notice of state and federal funding. I think a lot of people think of Mendocino as coastal and foggy, but really we have we run the gamut from the coastline up to the Mendocino National Forest. We have incredibly dry areas. We have some wetter areas, but either way, they can burn. And so, right, really, um, it was that that Redwood Fire that really kicked off getting more funding into the county to do these bigger bigger projects. Um, yeah, I actually think that's a fair part of the story. I mean, like people's attention on fire um it's ebbed and waned and kind of you know much to our um maybe much to our detriment um we we tend not to pay attention to important things when they're not in our face so uh when there weren't raging fires around you know the 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 council's gone through lots of ebbs and flows over the years and you know when, when you're talking about mary when you came in um i and did a little bit of research and the you know the annual budget um, in 2016 was $16,000. Um, so, you know, it had gone from an organization that when people were uh, kind of active and concerned about fires, it was managing some fairly large grants and providing some services around the county and, you know, kind of dwindled down to nothing. And in, in retrospect, if we maintained that level of vigilance straight along and had been doing thinning projects and cultivating prescribed burns and, you know, had an organization that was really focused on it all along, we would have been better off when we got back to another flare-up like we're in the middle of now in the last few years. Yeah, I think that when the Fire Safe Council first started, it was 2003, 2004, it was really a grassroots effort that recognized that county residents relied too heavily on our first responders and suppression efforts and weren't necessarily taking it upon themselves to be responsible for their safety and their community safety. That, that really kind of mirrors one of the things I like to say when, when we have, you know, when we talk about the Fire Safe Council, which is there's, you know, two, two easy ways to get a whole bunch done. You can land a whole bunch of money and come in with big machines and resources, um, but 
you can't always rely on that because there's not always somebody to give you a big bunch of money. Uh, on the other hand, you can accomplish the same amount with a whole bunch of neighbors uh, with the tools that are in their garages uh, that come together for a weekend and do a cleanup or assess the neighborhood. Uh, you know, So there's two different ways to get a whole lot done, and the one you can depend on always being there is figuring out how to do it yourself at a, at a neighborhood level. So... Um, getting getting those neighborhood groups established and activated is definitely in the long run as important, if not more important, than um, having well-funded first responders, which we also need to have. That's a really great point, Scott, and I think that in the past, the Fire State Council, like a lot of nonprofit organizations, have depended so heavily on grants, and as the grant cycle happens, ebbs and flows, the organizations ebb and flow. So really, it's building up partnerships, not only within communities, but also bringing in local agencies and companies and just really coming together and building off of each other's resources to make a more baseline operation where we can continually work together and do projects and be prepared whether or not we have those grant funds coming from the state or the federal government. Yep, and and what you emphasized in partnerships, I mean, I think it's super important that, um, you know, the Resource Conservation District was there to scoop up the Fire Safe Council when it, when it was at an ebb, uh, and I think the working relationship that's sort of developing is an important one. You know, there's a, a memorandum of understanding between the groups now and kind of a nice handoff. The Fire Safe Council focuses more on um, on projects that are in communities and along roadways that involve lots of property owners and lots of complicated relationships, and we're trying to um, sort of partner and hand off things that are more forest level that need foresters that need the kind of resources that the resource conservation district has. But again, you know, both those things overlap in crazy ways. So we have to work together um, to, to make projects happen. And that's really, I think, the main point of the Fire Safe Council is working together, realizing that we're in this together and helping neighbors help neighbors to be more fire adapted and fire resilient. And so how are you feeling about the Fire Safe Council right now and what's got you inspired about the future of the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council, Scott? At the moment, we have a grand total of, I think, 10 different grants that we're managing all with different, uh, you know, different, some of them are educational projects, some of them are large, uh, large projects that involve crews doing clearing. They involve getting CEQA uh, requirements in line and lots of other regulation uh, and reporting. So it's been an it's been a incredible learning curve, but um, it's also been, uh, been very rewarding. I, I love seeing the way it's come together. Uh, as Mary mentioned, you know, central to this is getting, um, you know, neighborhoods involved and neighborhood groups going. Uh, over the course of the year, we've grown from, I think, 17 to um, or around 32 uh, neighborhood fire safe councils now. And even when you bring in grants, I mean, to bring in a grant, the way you bring in a grant is by having 
community partners working with you that supply letters of support. Uh, when, when there's an opportunity for a grant, those things tend to gravitate towards places where people are doing things on their own behalf. So where there's an organized neighborhood group uh, that's documented why work needs to happen on their street uh, and that they're willing to contribute labor towards it, that's where the work tends to happen. So if you take a couple of steps on your own behalf, uh, you greatly increase the chance of, of getting resources directed to you. Uh, and that's a, a big part of what we're attempting to multiply. One of the more exciting things that happens actually as the Fire Safe Council is, so we've got all these neighborhood councils, and when you have your own neighborhood council, the people who organize that are invited to be part of our neighborhood council leadership group. And that group meets periodically um, and does a great job inspiring itself. Uh, you know, what happens at those meetings is that the people from each group talk about what they've been doing and they, um, they tend to trigger a lot of ideas about what we could be doing in our group over here. Um, so, for example, uh, one thing that came out of that recently is there's a couple of groups, you know, one of the first things that most neighborhood groups do is organize a phone tree. So there's a way to get in touch with each, with each other when there are emergencies, ways to share information, ways to check in with vulnerable people and make sure they get help they need getting out. Uh, phone trees, in the old-fashioned sense, are a bit kludgy. They're prone to breakdown if uh, a person who's responsible for calling the next five people just isn't there. Uh, things cannot happen. Um, so uh, a number of the neighborhood councils in the area had investigated on their own automated phone trees, systems that allow people to record a message and have it automatically go to everybody uh, and repeat to people who don't pick it up and to be able to send it out simultaneously to their cell number and their email uh, and their home phone uh, so that people stand a much better chance of getting the message. Uh, and so we had different neighborhood groups talk about that, and we realized it was a bunch of expertise they'd built up about the different options. Uh, and so we spent time talking with the different groups and selected one of them and found one that provides a, a, a nonprofit discount and B, a discount for a large volume purchase. So as the county neighborhood fire safe council, out of this discussion with our neighborhood councils, we discovered that we could provide a service that they all needed. We could buy, buy in on a large scale and make it available at a much lower cost for each neighborhood group that wants to get in and have their own automated phone tree. And that's just like one of wow. the things that spun out of one of the discussions that uh, with the various neighborhood councils sort of exchanging ideas with each other. As of July, we brought online our own chipper. Uh, so part of that is finding funding for the chipper crew. Uh, but part of that is um, then, you know, having organized days, and, and we attempt to make them as productive and fruitful as possible by doing a, a meld of we, we bring the chipper resource, uh, a capital resource that not is not easy for people to acquire on their own, and the skilled labor to operate it, and we make every effort to bring it out to places where the community has stepped up and done the work. So uh, if we get a neighbor that organizes their neighbors to get a whole bunch of people to do defensible space clearing around their homes at the same time so that they and 
or, and somebody else who organizes to make sure that the chipper piles are organized properly uh, so that it's efficient to go in and chip them. Uh, it's a, it's great too for there's community organizing or a three for community organizing. You get a whole bunch of defensible space done and you get it done, um, by neighbors that are doing the work. So we get all that work done, quote unquote, for free. Uh, and then we bring in the resource to polish it off. That is something that saves all the people who did that work a lot of money. Uh, but it also is directing grant resources in a way that's inspiring people to go out and do work for themselves. Um, so putting those elements together is exciting to me. Neat. And this radio show is a Fire Safe Council production. Will you tell us about this project, Scott? Yeah, we've, um, we've lined up. So we got um, a small grant support uh, from the California Fire Foundation, actually, to help produce this project. And we are going to be doing at least 15 shows that will hopefully be sort of jam-packed with ongoing information um, to give a rough sense of the arc. I mean, we'll probably be talking with the Fire Chiefs Association uh, and finding out about what their concerns or issues are. Uh, we'll be bringing in some of those neighborhood fire safe councils, um, probably some of the small and large ones. Um, so we'll talk about some of those things. Uh, we are producing a series. We're in the middle of producing a series of videos on home hardening, which is making your home as safe as possible from wildfire that we're producing with um, some folks from the UC Extension Service. Uh, so we'll probably have them on the radio and uh, help us introduce those videos that are about to roll out. Um, just as an aside, there's a lot of interesting video content that's uh, being added to our um, our website on a regular basis. Just this week, we put up, we worked with um, with an organization in Ukiah to produce an all-Spanish version of a basic fire safety presentation. Uh, and that's now recorded and up on the website. Wow. Uh, along with a home hardening video that's all in Spanish and um the public service announcements that we've been doing on KZYX. Uh, we did video versions of those with supplemental material that are all in Spanish. So uh, we've got that wealth Ooh. of new information uh, up there. Uh, and those are sort of related to other kind of minor grant projects that we're doing. So we'll, we'll delve into some of that in future radio shows. Um, I'm hoping we get to spend a lot of time talking with some of the local fire districts, the people mm -hmm. who actually go out there and um, are our first responders. They have, A, amazing stories to tell, uh, B, they're amazing people. They, uh, they dedicate incredible amounts of their own personal time to make it happen. Most of our, our departments are volunteer-driven. Uh, so there's, um, and they see they do all of that kind of on their own. They've raised the funds to be able to do all that work for everybody on their own. So uh, we want to help get their stories across and make sure that the community knows what's being done for them by those districts. Um, we'll probably have the Prescribed Burn Association in for a show. There's a Mendocino Prescribed Burn Association, which will probably be very important in the future going forward. Um, one of the things that's important to me is that, um, so we're doing all this work on the landscape. We're clearing we are creating defensible space and thinning things around our homes and on our roads and how do we do that with 
while doing the least damage possible to the native landscape. Um, so uh, we actually are in production on a video on that as well, and we'll probably have a show uh, to help people understand how to do it um, in a way that keeps the environment as intact as possible. Wow. Uh, we will probably have a show on animals in fire. Mendocino uh, County has a lot of people who have large and small animals, and having a plan for them is uh, important as well and is, has a lot of different aspects, so we hope to go there. Uh, and we'll definitely, as, as you pointed out, Aaron, have shows that uh, provide some definition around these terms for people. What is defensible space? Uh, what is home hardening? Uh, so we, we will get into those incredibly important topics in, in a lot of depth coming up. Wow, Scott, that's pretty cool. There's lots going on and still more to come. Um, on that note, however, I'd like to bring us back to um, Mary Meta, Forester with the Resource Conservation District, while we've still got you with us. I wonder if you could tell us about being a forester with the Resource Conservation District. What, what's it like in a, a day in the life of a forester with the RCD? There's no one typical day as a Resource Conservation District forester, but a lot of what I do is technical assistance where really I'm providing information and answering questions to our local communities about forest um, ecosystem function and vegetation treatments. I think a lot of people, I mean, we live out here in Mendocino County because it's we have beautiful forests and rangelands and oak woodlands. And I think people are realizing that those systems, these habitats are changing. And so what can we do to protect them, to enhance them and keep them more resilient, not only to fire, but drought and and everything else that comes with climate change. So really what we do at the Resource Conservation District is provide information to people to help them understand what type of vegetation habitat they have on their landscape and what are the vegetation treatments, the active management decisions that they can make to achieve their goals and objectives for that piece. Uh, I do a lot of this work in tandem with the Natural Resources Conservation Service, or NRCS, to provide this technical assistance, but also to provide a vehicle for a cost-share incentives program run by NRCS called the Environmental Quality Incentives Program, or EQIP is the acronym. And really that program is there to help landowners and land managers plan a project and then provide a little bit of cost share incentive, so a payment per acre to do the work. It's not going to cover the whole cost that it might take to actually do that work. It's just there to, to incentivize someone to get it done. We also work on a lot of different grants as the Resource Conservation District. We are 100% funded through competitive grants and professional service agreements. And so we do manage a lot of grants here at the Resource Conservation District, and they range from reforestation to 
fuels reduction to hazard tree removal. We really like to see what our community needs and is wanting and what will have the biggest bang for our buck. You know, what is really the need on the landscape to conserve our resources? And then we'll work on obtaining competitive grant funding for that. So how does this relate to our listeners uh, more directly? What services does the RCD, the NRCS, offer um, to individuals? Yes, so we are available, both the Resource Conservation District and the National Resources Conservation Service, available for site visits for free technical assistance where we can walk the property with the resident, landowner, land manager, and just help them see what we're seeing when we go out as natural resource professionals and help plant, map out a roadmap to getting work done. Really, my goal is to get people to actively manage their property. I think a lot of times we've thought doing nothing is the best thing for the landscape, and these fires have really proven that that's just not true in most cases. So when we take away an ecosystem service like fire, low severity fire, that our habitats have evolved with, we need to now act as that surrogate um, process. And we can do that in multiple ways. We can do that with thinning through machinery by hand. We can do that with prescribed fire. You know, fire is not bad. Fire is good. We need fire. We just need it in it low severity in a different way than what we're seeing now. So really it's up to us to figure out how how we're going to allow fire on the landscape because it's going to be here no matter what. Thanks. And how do people reach you? Uh, what's your contact information at the RCD? Yeah, so you can find the best place to go is mcrcd.org. And you can find our staff and board page, and that gives a brief bio and contact information for each of the staff. So depending on the information that you're looking for, you can try and find the appropriate person to contact, either email or phone. And you can also call the Natural Resources Conservation Service is another great resource. And that number is 707 485 3236. So those are two ways to get in touch with us to to ask questions about what's going on your on your land and and kind of your options for management. We've been joined by Mary Maeta Forrester for the Resource Conservation District. Thank you so much for being with us, Mary, and expanding on your job and some of the work that the Resource Conservation District offers to residents here in Mendocino County. Okay, well, thank you both so much. Um, Thanks for the time, Mary. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, if you have other questions, just give me, give me a call. Cool. cool. Thanks, Mary. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And that was Mary Maeta, Forester for the Mendocino County Resource Conservation District. And with that, Scott, you have the floor. Where would you like to take us? Uh, let me just 
give a little ramble about what we're doing, and you can you can jump off from there in whatever directions it might inspire. Great. Uh, so yeah, the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council's mission is to inform, empower, and mobilize county residents to survive and thrive in a wildfire-prone environment. Um, a lot of that resonates with all the discussion that's gone on here. Um, it uh, we are we've injected ourselves into a wildfire-prone environment, an environment that needs uh, fire to remain healthy. So the question is, how do we how do we learn to thrive in that environment? Um, and the Fire Safe Council is doing as much as it can. We've, um, over the last year, um, developed the capacity to manage larger-scale projects, which we're doing, the largest of which is the Ukiah Valley Fire Fuel Reduction Project. Um, that project has cleared its – our initial focus on that project was um, – helping make key ingress, egress routes, routes that people will need to evacuate on should there be a fire uh, and that emergency personnel need, will need to get in on to help people. So key ingress, egress routes in the Ukiah Valley area. Uh, we've been doing roadside clearing along those, and that's kind of a twofold. It helps people get in and out in an emergency, and it also creates a fuel break, so it makes it harder for the fire to travel. Uh, across those paths in whichever direction it might be, uh, the wind might be blowing, so it slows the fire's progress down. Um, this year we've put, we're just finishing in, putting in 18 miles of road clearing work, uh, and the next phase of that project is going to be an additional six miles of off-road fuel breaks, where the project is kind of picking up where uh, Cal Fire left off last season, and um, for example, on the western side of Ukiah, we'll be extending the off-road fuel break that uh, kind of ends near Lover's Lane from there further north out to the college. And on the south end of town, we'll be uh, you'll see us out along 101 uh, extending a fire break uh, in that direction. And we'll be doing a couple of breaks on the, on the eastern side as well. Uh, we have another grant project that uh, that Aaron helps us work on that is in uh, um, working in brook trails where we've done a lot of roadside clearing along key access routes there and we have extended that project to Williams Ranch Road where we're clearing several miles of road as well. Uh, both of those projects also involve chipper days um, and so that sort of combined with what we call our community chipper program, where, as I mentioned, we've got our own chipper now. Uh, that really came online in September, and we've got, um, since that time, we've provided about 40 days' worth of chipping uh, to the community and uh, roughly 80 tons of material, uh, so a tremendous amount of clearing. Uh, most of that's defensible space clearing where residents have done the work to help clear around their homes. Uh, and then we're supplying the chipping. Um, we have enough capacity for about 20 more days between now and the end of November. Uh, probably about half of those are spoken for. So uh, if people want to get to organizing, they should jump on that. Beyond November, uh, the funding for that is less certain. Uh, we also have a program that we just brought online um, 
that also runs just between now and the end of November, uh, because that's when the when the funding source runs out. Uh, that's defensible space for income eligible people, so people that can't afford to pay for somebody to come and do it that are either senior or handicapped, so people who um, can't afford to have the work done for them and can't do it themselves. Um, and we have, I believe, um, all the applications in for that. We got an uh, overwhelming tide of initial applicants. Uh, we are going to get as many of those taken care of as possible, but uh, the application is still up on our website, and I would still encourage people to fill it in, uh, or people can call our office, and Bobby, our administrative uh, assistant, will take an application on the phone for two reasons. One, um, if we find more funding to continue that project, we'd like to be ready to go and not have to start the application process over. And secondly, because the more people that um, sign up for it that we can't get to it, the easier it will be to prove that we need more funding uh, for that type of work in the future. Um, so we have those kind of major projects going um, in addition to doing what we can to support uh, the Neighborhood Fire Safe Council projects. Uh, we are currently working with the county and Supervisor Brown in particular on helping craft an abatement ordinance to um, so that there's some mechanism to uh, help people, help inspire people that aren't creating their legally mandated uh, defensible space around their homes to do that. Um, we have an, another large project going on to develop some defensible um, to develop home hardening video content, and um, that's particularly important because you know the what what came up in the conversation before is how overwhelming all of this can be. There is so much of it, mm -hmm. and so much to do. And our focus on that project is to work with experts to take that very complicated topic and break it down into tiny bites. Uh, you can see the beginnings of that on our website under home hardening uh, already. Uh, that's under the, let me get that in front of me. Uh, when you go to, oops, hang on a second. I'm going to dawdle for a second here. You can cut out the ums and ers while I'm waiting for the website to come up. Um, the first thing on the menu on our website is safeguard your home, and the first thing under that is home hardening. Uh, so if you go there, uh, we already have uh, the non-video portions of that up, uh, and it kind of works through in a um, somewhat order of priority. So you can just do a little bit. Do the little bit you can uh, when you have time. If this weekend you have some time to work on looking at your roof, pop up the fire-resistant roof material and read through that and you know, do the little bit that you can, and maybe two weeks from now you'll have a little bit of time to uh, look at your vents. So you can pop up the little section on vents and find out what you can do to help improve those. Uh, similarly for the other parts of the house, so we're trying to break it down so that it is less overwhelming and you can just get the little bit of content that you're prepared to deal with with the energy that you have at the moment. As we kind of mentioned earlier, the, the Fire Safe Council is in a, in a resurgence. We're trying to expand to, to meet the needs and to develop the capacity to do these larger programs. Uh, and on that note, I want to sort of shout out to both the county and the community foundation, both of which stepped up with some base funding this year 
So we have some staff to plan these things uh, and to, to catch the grants. Uh, we also got some significant funding support from PG&E uh, for the CHIPPER program and the Defensible Space program. So that's what's enabling that to happen. Uh, we are also very much trying to develop our membership program for, with individual members so that we have some base funding so that we have sort of ongoing staff availability to, to look for these opportunities and continue developing the programs. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a patchwork. Um, and interestingly enough, one would think with all the fire activity going on, uh, funding would be easier and more available, but the, the flip side of that coin is that there's more and more demand for it as well. So, uh, you know, we were very much looking forward to getting funding from the California Fire Safe Foundation to continue some of the same kind of chipper work we've been doing, uh, but our grant for next year from them did not make the cut. Uh, so there's a, a source of funding we were looking forward to that's not happening. Similarly, uh, the large pot of money that um, typically is funded through CAL FIRE that um, in this case funded the large Ukiah Valley project that I talked about, uh, funding for that is um, on hold because it didn't manage to make it in the budget. Um, so there is certainly um, a lot that needs to be done and um, it's going to take continual vigilance to find the means to keep making things happen. Scott, will you tell us about how the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council is a funding multiplier for the county? This this fiscal year started in July. We've um, the Fire Safe Council has brought in one hundred and fifty five thousand dollars in new grant money for the county. So that's one multiplier. That's exactly that. We we use our resources to try to make sure we bring in even more resources, and then we. Multiply it again by using those resources to, we, we are working to some extent, and this is kind of not finalized yet. Hopefully in a future show we'll talk about some economic development we've done creating some jobs for local people to um, work with us on some of these programs. So that's one way we multiply it again is by investing that in local, local job development. Uh, and... As or more importantly, we try to leverage these projects by getting community involvement. So like with the Chipper program, um, you know, when community members go and do a bunch of clearing work, we supply the chipping, and that multiplies it yet again because that's a ton of clearing work uh, that's getting done and happening that um, was inspired by bringing a little bit of grant money uh, to help defer the cost of then having to deal with uh, the material that people have cleared. Um, similarly, we leverage all of our neighborhood councils when we're doing road clearing projects. Uh, the places that those tend to happen are places where there's an organized uh, presence of neighborhood councils because that helps us defray the cost of those projects. Uh, on a road clearing project, uh, there's an effort that's made to get permission from each and every landowner along the road. If it's a dense ingress-egress road, that can be an awful lot of landowners, uh, which is more than we have time or resources to do. But by bringing in our partner-affiliated neighborhood councils, we are able to um, sort of take that 
take that volunteer labor and get that mass of, of regulatory and preparatory work that needs to happen done um, so that then we can take the bit of funding that's available for the actual road work and just on getting the actual work done. Wow. I mean, that's a lot. Plus, the actual work has its own multiplier in terms of prevention that can't really be adequately quantified because we'll never know what it prevented damage-wise or what have you. Yeah, we should probably I mean, look that up. The county recently, the county is working on a county-wide uh, mitigation plan, and that's another way we participate is by um, is by being a player when the county is putting together plans. Uh, and there was a lot of um, good data that was presented at the start of that. I mean, it is... And I, I don't have the, the numbers at my fingertips, but it is uh, fairly well established at a, at a national study level that every dollar you put in to prevent and mitigate um, generates several dollars in um, money that's avoided uh, in disaster recovery down the road. So, Well, can you tell us, um, in addition to contact information and where to look, uh, other ways people can participate because aren't you facilitating regular fire safe council meetings uh, amongst the neighborhood councils that kind of thing yeah there's um a whole bunch of things so the place to start is our website which is um getting a lot of development these days so there's a lot of new stuff being added regularly and that is firesafemendocino.org firesafemendocino.org um, and when you go to the website, you'll see a number of ways to participate. One, you can just become a member, which um, also helps when we can point to uh, a healthy membership base uh, that proves to other potential grant funders that we're a well-supported community organization. Uh, so you can do that. Um, you can help by either joining or starting the Neighborhood Fire Safe Council in your neighborhood, and that is uh, right next to safeguarding your home on our menu. The next thing over is preparing your neighborhood. And um, under that, there's information about, first off, joining a neighborhood council. So you can click on that, and it'll bring up a map that shows you where the existing councils are. So if there's one nearby you, you might just want to join with them, and we can provide you contact information for that. Um, secondly, if there's not one, you can talk to us about starting one. It's a super simple application. Uh, it only takes a couple of people, and it um, you know it can run the whole gamut. Uh, every every bit of effort helps. If starting your council is just by getting your neighbors uh, together for a chat about fire safety and clearing and what it is, and just providing a little bit of education, that's great. Uh, it can go on from there to all kinds of levels. Um, to uh, you know, the, uh, there are a couple of councils on the eastern side of Ukiah that have annual cleanup days that just take care of their main ingress egress roads uh, by all getting together one day a year and uh, bringing all their own personal equipment and it just making it happen. Uh, so you can do those kinds of projects. You can, uh, you know, do there's there's 
myriad myriad steps that you can take that that we can go over if you want to looking at starting a council uh, from developing mm-hmm. a phone tree to mapping the safe routes in and out to making sure you know who's vulnerable that's psychologically if there's a disaster in your area you're going to feel much better knowing you did what you could to make sure that everybody got in and out safely or out safely uh, and was as taken care of as possible um, so there's those kinds of things. There's mapping hazards. There's mapping um, safe locations to stop at should your access route be blocked. Um, there's just all kinds of levels of effort you can take, but doing something or anything is the place to start. Um, so there are those resources. And then there's also a... Um, a uh, join us for free by just signing up for the newsletter uh, and or subscribing to our Facebook page um, so you start to get a little basic information about what's going on. Um, the neighborhood councils that you mentioned, um, again, are a super key resource and we have a lot of benefits for them, uh, first and foremost of which is um, just they get access to the information first. If you're one of our neighborhood councils, when we have one of these new programs, like uh, money that pops up to help seniors uh, create defensible space around their homes, we send that out to the neighborhood councils first. Uh, so you are in the know about what becomes available and can help organize your area to have access to it first. Uh, and you are also invited to our leadership calls where uh, that exchange of ideas happens and you find out what's happening elsewhere that uh, can be very inspirational to get some good things going in your own neighborhood. Um, And how many councils are there right now in Mendocino County? I believe at the moment we have 32 of them identified on the website. So... And some of those are, um, again, it's, you know, the entire spectrum. Some of them are um, people who have just started organizing and may not have actually done much yet in terms of projects. And some of them are uh, like Sherwood Firewise, which is probably a model for the nation in terms of just how much a neighborhood group can organize and accomplish. So you're tuned to KZYX Radio. We have been speaking with Scott Craddy, director of the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council. We're coming up near the end of our hour. Scott, will you give us contact information one more time for any interested listeners out there? Yeah, that's where um, under prepare your neighborhood, um, you, there's the first the first uh, item on the menu. There is join a neighborhood fire safe council, and that's what pops up that map that'll show you where they are. Um, and if there's one near you, um, sometimes the website works to provide contact information. If it doesn't, uh, you can contact us, and we can put you in touch with whoever is organizing the council nearest to you. Um, and for that, let me give a little more contact info. So in yeah. addition to having our website, which is firesafemendocino.org, uh, our main office number is 707 707- 462 so 707-462-3662. And for those who prefer email, um, 
The best one to use at the moment is firesafe at pacific.net. As we approach the last few minutes of our show, what sort of closing information would you like to get out there to our audience? Um, so this is Scott Craddy. I'm the executive director of the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council. And um, it's been a pleasure getting to know the council and the neighborhood councils as the year has gone by. We've got a tremendous number of projects going on. Uh, one of the things I'm particularly excited about, we've mentioned the chipper program a number of times, but one of the things we're um, proudest of is the way we've been able to expand access to that over the course of the year. So um, we've managed to bring it out to Covalo and to Albion and to uh, and to South Fort Bragg and uh, to make sure that our programs are more inclusive for residents of the county. So that's been a big part of the work this year. Uh, also getting more demographically inclusive. So we just brought in the low income uh, or the, uh, the income qualified program uh, to be able to help make sure we're helping small and less well-to-do landowners as large as well as large ones. Uh, we certainly don't have the resources to help everybody, but we're making a concerted effort to um, to um, spread our services as fairly and widely as possible. Um, we're looking forward to bringing forward a bunch more of these shows and hope you will stay with us through them. I mentioned earlier uh, that we're going to be talking with local fire districts and fire chiefs and bringing experts on home hardening. Uh, the topic of insurance came up. That'll probably be a good one. Uh, we'll probably bring in PG&E vegetation management. We'll hopefully get you some updates about what CAL FIRE's plans and, and, uh, and are and uh, have a session on how to get yourself ready in the ready, set, go uh, mode. So if you have concerns about how to get yourself prepared, we'll hopefully cover that as well. Um, so we have a lot of turf to cover and hope you'll be with us for the ride. And that does it for our show, folks. You've been tuned to Fire Safe Radio, a production of the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council. My name's Cobb and I hope you'll join us again right here on KZYX. Have a great day, everybody.